Welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. Welcome to the Talking Joy podcast. I'm so glad that you can be with me here today and um, to talk about your work as a poet and a musician and um, a retired pastor of minister of 40 years. Did I read? Yeah. Um, It's good to be here. What's that? It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad to see you. Uh, so I, you know, we talked a little bit before we went on the air, and I mentioned that I've been reading your daily devotionals for, um, oh, for about 10 years. And sometimes I, I'm a prayer early in the morning. You know, I like actually like before the sun comes up. Mm. And uh, I always check in to see what you have to say. And sometimes I'm online, you know, I check before you've posted, but then you you come on um, and, uh, so anyway, your words have really, uh, penetrated something in me and, um, uh, that I have found very meaningful. And I actually was looking back through my notes cause I save a lot of things that I like and I think, oh, well, I'll use that in my teaching. And so I've saved a lot of your, your poems over the years. And, um, I closed two podcasts last year, you know, at two different times that came up when I looked at my computer for your name that I had closed with your one with your poems. Mm. Um, so, uh, so thank you for, for your, for your wise words and, and, uh, and wisdom that you share with people. And just wondered if you could just tell a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm curious about your early formation, you know, how you got into doing the work that you do or did um, before you retired and, um, oh man, that's a wide open invitation. Let me tell you a 67 year long story. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's interesting now that I am retired, living in the last house on a dead end road in a meadow surrounded by woods, I sort of have returned to my first place where I lived for the first seven years, which was the second to the last house on a dead end road, the edge of town. Um, surrounded by fields and woods in the distance on the outskirts of Rapid City, South Dakota. And I, I still wonder sometimes how formative that was for me, walking around alone out there in the prairie grass and um, just being a part of the world. And from an early age, I think um, somehow I, I was just aware of the divine core, the divine heart of all things. <clears throat> My dad was a Methodist minister, um, typical workaholic. Um, you know, he loved us a lot, but wasn't there a lot. So my world was pretty interior in a lot of ways. <clears throat> um, and, uh, and being a typical um, mainline Protestant pastor, <clears throat> his faith was um, uh, intellectual in a sense. It was, it was deeply held, but it was, I never, we never prayed other than 
the the prayer that we would say when we sat down to dinner together. And sometimes, um, sometimes those were real prayers, not just speeches, you know, or or rote recitations. Sometimes we really were praying, but that was the extent of it. It really wasn't until I was um, a few years into my ministry that I really discovered uh, what what prayer and meditation was about. What it really meant to sink deep into that mindfulness of of God's presence. <clears throat> um, and, and so that grew over the years, um, about in the middle of my ministry, my, where my wife and I are both Methodist ministers and you get appointed by the Bishop and you get moved around. And, uh, my wife got moved to a place <clears throat> where they didn't have anything for me. And I just lucked into finding a campus ministry job. So for a year I was the campus pastor, um, it, this is all in Montana. That's where I spent most of my youth and early adulthood. And after I met Beth in seminary, we went um, we went back to Montana and my roots instead of going back to the Midwest and her roots. And uh, so uh, about 20 years in, she got appointed to this uh, church. And I didn't have a church, but I found this campus ministry job at the Montana State University Billings. Well, there had been no... Um, there had been no program there for a year. So I had no program, no people, no office, no chapel. It was just basically a, a title and permission to do whatever I wanted to do. Well, I, the only, I didn't even have a bulletin board. So the only way to really stay in touch with people other than buttoning holding them at lunch was through email. And the email started out with just news for what was going on and how we can connect and stuff. Um, but I would put in a little thought for the day. And as the year went on, there was more thought for the day and less news. <clears throat> and at the end of that year, we moved out here to New England. And the staff and faculty at the university said, are you going to keep doing that little thing you do with the email? I'd never thought of that. So when we moved to New Hampshire, um, I started this thing called Unfolding Light that was basically you know, like 12 people uh, with a daily email devotion. Yeah. And it's really been part of my practice for the last, um, I think, 19 years now. Um, part of my practice is that daily I have to um, think and be present. And, um, and it's a different kind of writing because it's not just like cranking out a poem or a sermon. It really has to be rooted in prayer. It has to be rooted in what I am hearing. And then this much like preaching, this sort of second layer of asking, what, is, what does God want people to hear? Mm. And that's a lot of listening. <clears throat> um, with this one little sort of hook is that sooner or later, every morning, I have to hit send. Yeah. I, I have to put something out there. Yeah. And, it's, and it's a great discipline to, to know that there's, whatever it is, 2,600 people. It's not, not much in the virtual world, but for me, it's, it's my congregation. Um, that there are some people among those who are waiting for it every morning. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great uh, discipline to have to do that every day. And it has to be fresh and it has to be true. And it, it doesn't have to be polished. A lot of times I think, well, that'll do for now. Send. <laughs> but that's the best part about it because I think that's where you tap into the common humanity of people when it, sort of that raw essence of like, oh, well, I felt that way this morning too. Mm. Um, I love that. And 
You know, I'm, I'm curious. I've been doing the uh, Ignatian um, spiritual practices oh, yeah. for about the last month with being guided by my spiritual director. And I had this aha moment regarding you while I was doing it because she told me to read scripture, whatever was I was told to do for the day in this book, and to really just be with it and to trust um, my response, whatever that, whatever that is. Mm. And my response has been poetic. I've sort of been oh. reading poetry. And I thought, oh, I wonder if Steve, if, because a lot of times you'll have scripture at the top of your, of your daily devotionals. Um, and I thought, I wonder if you follow like, the, you know, the, the, the church calendar. And if you read scripture before you go, I, I mean, tell me about the process a little bit about how that comes to be for you? You know, it's, uh, it's not unlike the process that I went through when I was preaching every week. Um, I follow the lectionary. So, so it's the same scriptures that most liturgical churches and a lot of mainline Protestant churches and Catholic churches are, are following. <clears throat> and um, I'll, I'm usually aware of those scriptures for weeks ahead of time. I, I'm aware of them. They're sort of percolating in there but especially the, the week before, I carry those around with me a lot. And, and I let my daily thoughts and interactions and, and my personal prayer and meditation um, just kind of have a conversation ongoing. <clears throat> and, um, and that's a lot of where that writing comes from. I'm just looking at this scripture and there's what, sometimes just one little phrase or sentence or sometimes a story and thinking, well, so what? What do you hear? And and I let it flow from there. Um, I have I have the luxury in in the case of unfolding light. Um, if I want to, I can preach five sermons on one text. <laughs> they have to be short. <laughs> they have to be way less than a page. But <clears throat> that's a that's a choice that I uh, that was um, I had to make when I was preaching. You pick one and go with it. And it's kind of fun sometimes to pick one scripture and say, well, here's one angle, here's a totally different angle. And then on Thursday, here's another one. <clears throat> but, uh, but a lot of it is just the process of letting it percolate and letting it be present so that I'm walking through the week with this scripture echoing my mind all the time. Um, and, and sometimes it really is sort of like the Jesus prayer. It's just something that stays with you all day long. And all day long, I'm thinking, give to the emperor what is the emperor's, and give to God what is God's. And I'm thinking about that when I get the mail and eat lunch and walk down the street. So you're having sort of this intentional being with the words mm -hmm. um, as almost like a, uh, you know, you keep talking about walking with them, so almost like as a body prayer that you go out yeah. and, um, or even Lectio, you know, you, you mm -hmm. carrying these words throughout throughout your day or throughout your week. Um, and tell me how nature plays into, into all of this for you, because you write a lot about nature, which mm -hmm. resonates for, for me because I, I, and I, and I would say that, you know, as a spiritual director, 90% of the people that I talk to have God experiences in nature where they feel like they connect to God in nature. You know, one of the things that strikes me about that is that probably when we're in nature, we're the most free from human expectations. 
there are no, there's just no expectations. The trees really don't care um, how I feel, how I behave, how I dress. Um, they would prefer that I respect them and not carve them up. But other than that, they're okay with me. And I think that itself is probably one of the most evocative things for me and for a lot of people with nature is that the created order has no demands of me. And, um, and I'm really given permission to just be myself. And part of what that does is it brings me into a, an I-thou kind of place where I can more intentionally pay attention to what the tree is being while I'm being me. I pay attention to what this little brook is being while it's flowing in the same way I'm flowing. <clears throat> and, and that brings me to a deeper place of listening and, and not just um, being me. When I come out of the woods, I'm so aware when I am in public, uh, and partly it's just my own, um, we, we all have our own particular weirdness. Um, you know, <clears throat> I've, uh, I've often said uh, since our last dog died, if I ever get a dog again, I'm going to name it Ego. <laughs> and we all have this, we all have this ego that we have to keep on a leash and keep well trained or else it just tears up the house. Um, but all of our egos are a different kind of animal. And mine is one that's um, part of what mine is doing is just always making sure of how people see me. Mm. And when I'm in the woods, there's no such thing. Nobody's seeing me. I love that. I Steve, would you say, Steve, that that's the noticing um, or the feeling that you had as a child in the house, the second house in from the end of the cul-de-sac? <laughs> In that, well, um, is that how you felt in as as a kid? Yeah, you know, an interesting thing is that it wasn't until I was uh, I, an adult, an early adult in my twenties, that I began to be aware that although my parents loved me, my inner life was essentially invisible to them. Um, they they related to me in terms of what I had accomplished. Um, I've been writing poetry and making music and writing stories and doing stuff like that since I was six. So, so it was frequent that they would say, so what have you done? You know, show us a drawing that you made. And, and it became this sort of performative way of being. Um, and, and so my inner life became something that was both, um, uh, in, in some ways, my, my whole real world, because there was no connection, nobody else connected with my inner life, <clears throat> um, but also my, that ego need really kicked in to have people notice and have people, you know, to put myself out there in, in a public way. I mean, that's something I still struggle with, with Unfolding Light and the music that I do and, you know, all these public things. I do a lot of public things. And there's always this part of me that says, see, they see me. They know me. They like me. Oh, stop. To that. Yeah, we. That's very common. Yeah. I think that the critical piece in that, at least in my own life, is the uh, self-awareness of that. Because mm -hmm. I catch myself going down that road of like, oh, Pam, you know, you have to keep doing that because you're so good at it. When I get that praise, even though I feel God is nudging me to along to something newer and different. 
Um, and do I stay because people are saying I'm so good at it or do I move because that's right. and when I can catch myself. So what I'm hearing is that you, there's the self-awareness of that, the contrast yeah. between your inner life and then sort of this, um, you know, you're gifted and people recognize that. And there's obviously praise comes with that. Um, but it sounds like you're, yeah. there's a healthy awareness and balance of the two. That, and that balance is so important. Um, when I, you know, it's interesting. <clears throat> um, I always sign at the end of Unfolding Light. I always sign it, Pastor Steve. And um, my readers know that at the end of my ministry, I thought a lot about that and decided, you know, I'm not a title. I'm just Steve. And a lot of people responded to, to that and said, no, actually, you are my pastor. Um, through Unfolding Light, that's, that's not a title or a or any sort of acclamation. That's just a fact. And I've thought about putting that back in there. And, and what occurs to me is the balance of knowing that I'm doing something um, that, that is a vehicle for people's awakening or awareness, but it's not really about me. When, when people say, oh, that was a great poem, that was brilliant. I have to balance being able to say, I'm really glad that that was fruitful for you. And, and that is so cool. And um, it wasn't all that special. It wasn't me. It, what was going on in you was what was special. And you pulled out of those words what God needed for you to hear. And that's where the good work was. I just did my best to sort of keep the window clear so that you could see that view. And I think whatever our work is, we're, we're always challenged to to balance on the one hand, knowing that uh, my work is valuable, whether it's public work like mine, or even something as non-public as cleaning toilets. Um, this is important work, and God desires that it be done, and God wishes blessing to come to people through my work, and at the same time, that I acknowledge that it's really important, it's also not about me. Yeah. That, that whatever skill or gift I'm given is a gift, and the real work is what goes on on the other end, other people. Yeah, and you're holding the space or you're the conduit, mm -hmm. you know, between you and, and you know, you, you walk with the words, you take it out into nature, you put it to paper and you send it out. And then that is between that person and their formation or whatever yeah. is, is, is growing inside of them. I love that because that takes, that does take the ego piece out of it. Um, you know, for the, for you on your end, but I did see when you took the pastor out, and I think you maybe explained it in an email, yeah. that possible. And I remember thinking, well, you've never been my pastor, so I didn't I didn't think of you along those terms. But um, I, when I saw that, I I knew that you were doing that for you. Yeah. You know, that was about you and some some sort of, some growth that was happening within you and that you were sharing with us. Um, but I remember catching that and uh, and thinking that you were letting go of a title. And that's a piece of that ego that you were talking about again. Yeah, and really letting go of the notion that there was something special mm. and, and outstanding about me. And I kept having to remind myself, you want that word in there so that you stick out. Well, you know what? All seven billion of us stick out. Yeah. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> I love that. And so I struggled. <clears throat> I went to seminary and got a master's degree in ministry but I didn't feel called to be ordained. 
but mm-hmm. a friend of mine who continued on, I always say to her, I didn't get that title and that title carries weight. Yeah. And I didn't get that, but I really, really trusted the spirit that I, it wasn't for me. You know, I had four little kids at the time and really I was led, I felt like as a listener and for spiritual direction, but there is a weight with that title. So I can imagine that getting it up was sort of, uh, that was a big letting go. Um, I mean, it will always be with you, but you, you understand. Yeah. That. Yeah. And I, I let go of that every morning when I look at that and go, oh man. There it is. Yeah. You know, again, one of those things about being out in nature is that there are no name tags. You know, I'm, I'm out in the woods. I'm not even Steve. When I, uh, I bike out to the ocean, we live about three miles from the ocean, and I, part of how I get my exercise is I storm out there to the ocean on my bicycle. And uh, when it's warm enough, it hasn't been for the last couple of weeks, but I'll go swimming in the Atlantic. And, um, and I'm not even necessarily, uh, I'm not even necessarily a, a human being. I'm just a creature floating in the ocean um sometimes sometimes i'll just take a breath and go down and just and just hang there under the water face down just limp and and allow myself to be a piece of biology in floating in the ocean and i think that um i think that's part of that buddhist notion of emptying and no self it's it's not that there's nothing there it's that we're getting rid of all of this illusion that I am something separate and distinct and, and different from everybody else and better than everybody else instead of just, no, I am, as, as Paul would say, I am one cell in the body of Christ. I don't need a name tag. I don't need a title. I'm just part of this whole big, infinite, mysterious, blessed thing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, you know, it it made me think of, I had a conversation with, uh, TJ Cunningham, who is a, uh, a landscape, uh, artist in New England. Um, you may have heard of him, but he talked about painting the snowy owl, um, in Vermont, you know, on this backcountry road. And he was saying that he had sort of this aha moment where he realized that he was in their habitat. Mm -hmm when he's painting, that he's in the snowy owl's habitat, not his. And that yeah. the snowy owl can continue to stay there into the cold night, but he would freeze and he would need certain things that, that weren't available mm-hmm. to him. And I don't know, I just had that vision of you in the ocean and, and the realizing that you are part of, part of that. Um, the other thing I was thinking too that I was gonna ask you about nature, um, especially given you know during the pandemic and and the climate that that we are all in. Um, The one thing that I noticed, at least in the spring, was that when I was out in nature, everything was as it should be. The rhythm, the the awakening of spring, you know, things blooming. There was a uh, great horned owl nest, you know, with, with an owlet, and we watched that whole you know, progress of it leaving the nest. I mean, just the whole birth and spring and, you know, all those metaphors. Um, what would you say to that, you know, as far as going, and, and now you see, I mean, I don't know about where you live, but where I am outside of New York City, um, there are people out, like I've never seen it. You know, the streets are just like teeming with people. <laughs> and you kind of have to like walk across the street and on zigzag. Right. 
Yeah, <laughs> go to the other side of the road. I've never had people afraid of me that people are afraid of me now. Um, well, it's interesting how the pandemic, um, for some people, has driven us outside. Yeah. Um, because we're stuck in our houses, we've got to get out. Um, and so places where I've taken a walk for years are suddenly more populated. <clears throat> um, up until this June, we lived in Acton, Massachusetts, and there was a little farm road that I would walk on near our house. And um, sometimes Beth and I would take a walk out there, and it was like, wow, where did all these people come from? <laughs> Last year, they weren't here. <clears throat> um, but you know, it's interesting that that phrase, uh, everything is as it should be in nature. One of the things that, that I'm, um, that one of my little tiny campaigns is to get us out of thinking this Darwinian way of the survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. It's actually, I think, the survival of the most fitting. And there's a difference. It's not just overwhelming your competition it's a matter of participating in the habitat <clears throat> um and and i'm really conscious of invasive species and there's there's nothing wrong with an invasive species other than that it's in a place where it has no natural enemies um, where it comes from there are whatever it is if it's a plant there are bugs that eat it um, if it's an animal there are predators that get rid of it um, in in Montana, it was spotted knapweed. Um, down south, it's kudzu. Here, um, where I live, it's bittersweet. These vines that just grow up and literally choke huge trees, just bring them down. And um, and I think of how in our culture we are so unwilling to be one species that fits in with all the rest, and and we participate in the food chain. There are things that we receive and things that we contribute, and that's what makes it work. And I think, um, I think right now what we're seeing politically, among other things, is, is this sort of desperate reaction of white supremacy, because there is a strain of us that really wants to be kudzu, that really wants to just take over and create a monoculture of this one species and we're it and everybody else loses. And in the short run, that looks like winning. <clears throat> but of course, an ecologist would say, over the long run, that's how you kill an ecosystem. You create a monoculture, and then the next thing that happens is it collapses. And that, over geologic time, you know, that takes a few hundred years. Um, and, and at the same time, one of the things that makes uh, invasive species so harmful is that they that they take from the ecosystem without contributing. Mm -hmm. so, so biologists have studied um, species that, that, for instance, of trees that came from Europe, and they've been here 250 years, and they still support no other species. Native trees of almost the same kind support hundreds of birds and bugs and all kinds of animals that, that eat it and that depend on it, and invasive species, they just don't contribute anything. And I think um, spiritually, when I walk out and look at all that uh, bittersweet, I think, don't be bittersweet. Don't be, to me, it's sort of a biological metaphor for domination, whether it's white supremacy or sexism or whatever. You know, how, how is it that I want to be a part of the winning species instead of being a part of the whole thing? And, and contributing as much as I take and, and not being 
the top of the food chain, but just being part of it. Oh, I love that. Wow. Yeah. So don't be an invasive species, don't which is different than not being a weed. Yeah. A, a weed is a natural plant that's growing where it's supposed to grow. You just and, don't like it. And so when I said that nature is as it should be, maybe perhaps what I'm hearing you say is that not all of it is. Um, yeah, the ways that we have interfered with it make it not as it should be. Mm -hmm. um, however, it, is, it still is as it should be. And, and if an invasive species takes over, the, the laws of nature, like the laws of God, will work out. It'll take 800 years. Yeah. We won't be around to see it happen. But, um, you know, I think of that with, with climate change. Um, we've disrupted things, and it's pretty dangerous. And we're in danger of wiping out not only human beings, but probably another million species of, uh, especially mammals, um, but all the way down to the bumblebees. Um, and, and for us human beings, that'll be a disaster. For the planet Earth, no big deal. It will heal. It will go on. Life will continue to evolve. And, and until we realize how, both how small we are, but how belonging we are, yeah. um, we're going down what for us is a dead end road. But nature is as it should be. And as Julian says, all things shall be well. It might just take 10,000 years. Watch this. And I've seen that in nature where someone will leave a building or, you know, something's abandoned and you see the earth is sort of coming up and around it and trying to receive it back in and process it. You yeah. Know, and things start to, to moss and, you know, it starts to decompose and, and mm -hmm. earth really is trying to do its part to, uh, to repurpose or, or break down um, what we've left there. Yeah, I, I read an article recently saying um, it's, it's a good thing to think of this as the anthropocentric age, geologically, that human beings are in the backpack. And so it's also a good thing to remember that when you think geologically, remember that a million years from now, there will be no traces of human culture whatsoever. Nothing. That, that we have to have a hunt. And it's great to find these little bones that give us a hint of what was going on 63 million years ago when the dinosaurs. Yeah. And, and it, was a, it was a good article to just say, don't feel your foolish self. You are, you are, you are you're way too small in the, in the scheme of the earth. So, so get rid of that and belong. Just belong. Well, what I'm hearing, and I, asked, I, I, I usually ask my guests, you know, what is your favorite mantra or phrase or... Mm. Or quote you and you wrote uh, back to me. You said, "Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God." Micah six eight. Want to tell me a little bit about why we chose that? Um, um, beautifully with everything you're saying. Well, you know, interesting question. Uh, whenever I'm asked one of those sort of "What's your favorite?" questions, I go, "Oh, I don't know. I got six million favorites." Um, but that one popped up at the time, I suppose because um, there, I am so aware that our, our personal fulfillment and our cultural healing and the survival of our species all have a lot to do with belonging. And, and walking humbly with God is mostly a matter of that withness and, and that willingness to be presence. But it's not, um, it's not passive. 
it's definitely, um, I'm, I'm looking for the right word. It's not necessarily submissive, but it's, it's letting God sing the melody and we're singing the harmony. We're not, we're not making up the tune here. Um, but we are singing. We do have to do justice and we do have to, to be kind um, and, and really love the, the, the act of mercy. <clears throat> but we do that as a way of being in tune and in harmony with God. And when, when Christians throw around that word salvation, for me, what, what works better as, a, as a, um, a more fruitful phrase for me than salvation, because of all the negative history attached to it, is harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, is what it means to be saved is to be in harmony. And part of the miracle is that however out of tune I am, God seems to be able to tune with me. Um, I saw this great video online somewhere of a, uh, somebody singing the national anthem who was just terrible. And, and she kept switching keys. She would sort of drift off, start off in A, and pretty soon she was in A flat, and then she was up to B flat. And this organist who was accompanying her kept switching keys. It was just this genius thing. He could match her. He just found her. And I think that's what salvation is. It is out of tune as I am. God sings with me in a way that, that um, creates harmony with me, but continually pulls me back toward the truth, toward the doing of justice and living out of mercy through my willingness to be with, to walk humbly with God, to belong. What I'm also hearing too, um, in a lot of your descriptions of your writing and, 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 and in that um, definition, uh, is that in order for you to live this way, um, you need to be fully present and awake to your life. And it sounds like the process of this gift of writing this daily devotional and and all, you know and all the many other things that you've written. But um, you know, just for my sake today, we're focusing on that because that's the work your work that that I'm so familiar with. Um, is that there's this intentionality to be fully present to how God might be, but all day long, you know, as you, you said, I carry, I carry words with me. I carry the scripture with me or I carry, um, uh, and, and then I listen. And so tell me a little bit about that and how others could tap into that. Because I feel like mm-hmm. for me personally, like I'm the most mm-hmm. fully alive when I live from that place. But of course, you know, even the, here's the ego again, you know, I go off, <laughs> but then I remember, yeah. I remember, and then, you know, grace pulls me back um, to the here and now. Yeah, <clears throat> it's, um, it, it really is, uh, I think, a matter of, of practice and discipline. Um, you know, something I, I mentioned earlier, something like the Jesus prayer or, or a breath prayer that I, that I practice. I love that word practice. Um, you know, when we talk about people who are practicing Catholic and I think, am I a practicing Methodist or am I just a, you know, on the shelf Methodist? Um, our Christian faith isn't a set of beliefs. It's a, it's a set of practices mm-hmm. and, and it takes practice. You have to practice. And I found that in the morning, if I, if I practice and, and put some words in my head um, or, or a way of being, and 
and devote myself to that. And then I have to, I just have to keep remembering it all day long. I'm, I'm fascinated with the moment I wake up. I'm, a lot of times in the morning, um, I'll be dreaming and then I'll be thinking and then I'll be awake and realize that at some point I passed from dreaming to thinking. And those are two different things. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what I want to do. That I want to continually pass from, from dreaming, from just being fed images that I'm not um, making up, to, to really actually being aware and being awake and choosing what I am uh, being mindful of. And for me, it just takes continual practice. Um, you know, the, um, in the, the Shema, you know, hear, O Israel, Yahweh, your God, is one God, and, and you should love God. Um, and, and then it says, now you should bind this around your wrist. You know, put it on your forehead. You should wear this phylactery so that you're always bumping into it. Put it on your doorpost so that you see it all the time. And I remember about 30 years ago, 40 years ago, thinking, man, I should, I should do that. I need some sort of phylactery, some, some sort of way to remind me. And then I realized I had one. This is the first when, when um, electronic watches first came out and they had that little beep that would beep on the hour, every hour. And it drove people nuts. You'd be sitting in a class and all of a sudden, beep, 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 beep. everybody's watches went off. It's like, yes, yes, I know it's 11 o'clock. And I thought, oh, that's exactly what I need. Mm -hmm. And so I actually set mine to beep. Uh, this was back when I wore watches and I haven't worn a watch for, I don't know, 30 years. Almost um, like a church bell at noon, it reminded people to pause yeah, and pray. Yeah, exactly. And, and so sometimes what I'll do is, is especially when I am aware that I'm going to need to be reminded, um, I'll pick something like a bell or a telephone or, you know, a cell phone thing. I mean, you can set your cell phone to beep all the time um, or the sound of traffic or a siren or whatever and say, every time I hear that today, that's going to remind me to stop. You know, when that watch went off, it wasn't a way of saying, oh my gosh, it's 11 o'clock, get to work. It was a way of saying, oh, time is passing, stop, wait, take a Sabbath minute here. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes I have to sort of um, make things that are going to happen throughout that day. Um, even like take a blank sticky note and put about 14 up, up around the house. And they're all the same color. And every time I see one of those little yellow sticky notes, I go, oh, right. All right. Be present. Wake up. And then two minutes later, I see another one. Oh, right. So these, are the, these are the ways you remember. Yeah. yeah. And you've, you've almost, so I always say, you know, you can't walk into a gym and point at the different machines and say, oh, that's a great one. And you have all your dress to work out, but you got to stay and actually do it. You have to actually pick up the weights. You actually have to pick them up, and, and what I'm hearing is it's muscle memory, and yeah. that um, you creatively found ways for yourself, and I always invite people to do that too, what resonates for you. Um, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. a great athlete didn't become a great athlete overnight. You know, when we see the Olympics and they tell their story, their stories are always captivating because there's this depth to them, and there was failure, and there was you know, defeat. Mm -hmm. And then there was, you know, and then they gained 
some rhythm and it's, I, I feel like the spiritual life is the same way. It's that I get up every morning and I read your inspirational words, but then I also flip open the book and I'm also doing Ignatian spirituality. And I'm also, you know, at noon hearing the siren or the bell and, and saying, mm-hmm. um, or when I always, uh, one of my favorite things is where are your feet? Am? Oh, yeah. Feet. And so whenever I come to a red light, you know, I would invite people, you come to a red light a lot when you're out driving. I asked myself, you know, Pam, where are your feet? And yeah. the only place they could be, right here, right now. And so there are all these, and I'm, you know, I'm just adding to your sticky note thing, just that there are so many ways that we can call a pause throughout the day, but over time, it becomes part of who we are. You know, and you mentioned the ding on your watch was like 29, 30 years ago. Yeah, but but it had meaning, and it you know, and and then mm-hmm. added new layers onto it um, over time. And and you know that um, gives real value to sometimes what we disparage when we feel like we're just going through the motions. And and I say, yeah, how many great basketball players went into the gym when nobody's looking and shot fourteen thousand free throws? You just go through the motions. And yeah, half of a miss, that's okay. You just keep going through the motions. That's how you get good. And, and I don't disparage those times when people are just reading the scripture and they're not paying attention or they're reading a prayer or they're saying the Lord's Prayer and it's kind of like, I know I'm just going through the motions. Better than nothing, keep doing it. And there, then there are those moments when we, we do wake up. <clears throat> you know, um, when, when we teach mindfulness meditation and and it's um it's increasingly hard in this world of ours in in which there's so much information and so much data and so much processing going on all the time and mindfulness is really a matter of not doing that just letting the process go on in the other room of our own brain and of course we're not good at that of course i i can really be mindfully present for about three seconds and then i think wow I'm being mindfully present. And then the computer revs up again. Um, But the, but the point of, of um, centering prayer, for instance, is not that I am completely centered in God, but that I'm willing to continually return. It's that returning. It's that saying, Oh, right. God's gracious presence is here. Oh, I wonder what's for lunch. Oh, right. God's gracious presence is right here. And, and it's that turnaround, that, that willing, willingness to let go of what I was doing and, and return, that willingness to stop in traffic and sit at the red light, the willingness to, when you're walking a labyrinth, to, you get to one of those turnarounds and you go, oh, right, I'm being called to return. And would and I, you say that God is always there waiting? There's God saying, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the thing I love about the labyrinth is that God is in the coming and God is in the going. God is in the going this way and in the going that way. The whole thing is is God. Yeah. And it's that return. And so your wise words, you know, help I think others return uh, to to that to that knowing. Um, one of your favorite things, one of my favorite things that you wrote once was, um, and I, I actually didn't print this, but I remember reposting it on Facebook, and it was like a beautiful fall moon, and you told people to wake up. 
<laughs> wake up. Do you remember this? Get outside, drop, like people, I, I think there was something about washing the dishes. You're washing the dishes. The dishes can wait, you know, go outside, be with the, uh, and I, I just loved that because there's something about, you know, the mysteriousness of life and of, you know, us being human beings. And when you can go out and be in awe and put down the, 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 the regular everyday activities and just go yeah. out and just yeah. take in that magnificent mystery of, you know, of a, of a fall moon. Yeah, and you know, sometimes that happens when you look out the window and there's this gorgeous sunset or there's, um, right now there's a flock of about 100 geese in our yard that have taken up residence on their way south. Um, sometimes you just look out the window and there's something really cool and you say, honey, come, come here, come here, come here. Go outside, go on the front porch and look. And, and I think, I want to tell everybody in the world that, but of course not everybody in the world is having the beautiful sunset that I'm having. And then I think, that doesn't matter. Just go outside and look. Maybe you see the other apartment building that's 20 feet away and it's just four stories of ugly brick. Well, go out and look. God is there. Just go look. Well, it's like when you go to the zoo um, when my kids were little and I would take them to the zoo and little zoo near here. And we would go and sometimes we would go and the lion would be out. Oh, wow, the lion's out. Next time you go, the lion's asleep, but the penguins are out and somebody's feeding them and we have that experience. And yeah. So I think when you go out into nature, and maybe that's why people are pouring out of their doors right now during the pandemic and going out, mm -hmm. they're looking for that return, you know, to go back to, to that feeling of um, connectedness with the earth. So maybe that's a good thing that's, that's yeah. out of this. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so aware when I write these things um, th how lucky I am. That, that I'm surrounded by woods, I'm three miles from the ocean, um, I have the opportunity and the freedom and the car to get me to the mountains, to hike in the mountains. And I think of people who live on the 10th floor of an apartment building, who look across the street at another 14-story apartment building, they could walk, walk in, is full of litter. Um, and I think I'm, I'm certainly luckier in, in the surroundings than I there too. God is in cement and oil slicks and yeah. trash in the gutter. There's, there's still visual beauty. There's still life going on. There's still, you know, birds in the wreckage. And, and being awake and aware and present to what is, whatever it is, I think that's the beauty is being, being present. Yeah. No matter where you are, whether it's the yeah. floor of that building, there's still beauty. Um, in the night sky and in uh you know the bird of the air and and things like that um you know i remember once um waking up in a hotel room in a big city and sort of having my little morning quiet time looking out the window and and seeing nothing but big blank ugly buildings very little traffic. It was early in the morning, so there wasn't even movement going on in the street. But what struck me was space, just all this air and, and the three-dimensionality of these buildings. And I thought, okay, cool, God, space. I don't know if I ever would have thought of inventing space itself. I just sort of take that for granted. And I think we can be awake to what is, even if it's empty space, there's still divine 
mystery and creativity there. And, you know, I, I repeat this a lot just because it means so much to me, this phrase, but and maybe it was Henry Nowen that said that we grow best in two ways, in community and in solitude, and we need a healthy balance of both. Community mm -hmm. is accountable, but yet we need to go off um, by ourselves to get to know yeah. ourselves and to connect with yeah. God. And, um, and I really believe that, you know, the more I do this work, um, uh, that, that that's, and, and, but what I think what people are missing maybe right now is that healthy balance of community. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think humanity probably is longing for each other in ways that they haven't realized before when, when we're so cut off from each other by having to distance. <clears throat> I wonder what huge percentage of the human race is just feeling a longing for, for other people and how, um, how we are called to honor that hunger in ourselves and in others and help them to find that. Mm -hmm. I have a pen pal who's a, um, on death row in a prison in Ohio. <clears throat> and when I write to him, I'm real aware that, that I can describe walking in the woods and swimming in the ocean um, as, as a gift for him to sort of be able to imagine that but I'm not going to tell him to go walk in the woods. He, he has absolutely no control even over what room he is in. Mm. Um, and, and he has absolutely no connection with nature and very little connection with other people other than uh, mostly this sort of tense, conflicted life that you live on death row. <clears throat> um, and so I really feel this um, this need, this calling to, to be with him in that space, space where we have to discover God within and without. He has to figure out a way to discover God in a prison cell mm -hmm. and, and at the same time to discover the God that's within him no matter what happens out there. And, and, and if I can be present for him in that, then I can be present for, for myself and all of my little tiny troubles. Yeah. But see, I think that you are. I, I, I would disagree a little bit with what you just said, and just in the sense that I think that you bring nature to people who perhaps don't have it outside the back door and, mm -hmm. and, and as a gift because it's just like reading a great story. It's, you get lost in the story. You feel like you're there. It's like a great piece of art where you know, paint or paint something. And I look at the painting and I actually feel like I can walk into that meadow in the painting. Yeah. It offers that for me. And so I would say the grace in your writing and maybe for this gentleman is that you're offering him nature in here yeah. through, through, through the story of it. Let me, can, may I read just the, a, a, um, a little one of my favorite things uh, that you wrote and that I've I've quoted often or I close with this a lot um, and it said walking in the woods this morning I was distracted my mind wandered out of the woods far away from them and from me I kept having to return to the woods return to this morning return to myself and then I would leave again the trees called out to me the leaves gently turning fall colors the sun reaching its long arms through them to me, to me walking there, but I didn't notice. But they were still there, weren't they? Calling to me, reaching out, surrounding me. 
Most of the time, I don't notice God in this world and the people around me in all that is, but God is still there, calling, reaching out, surrounding. If we can't live in holiness all of the time, we can remember now and then, we can return. God is still there waiting for us. Each moment is a return. And it says, deep blessings, <laughs> Steve Garner. It doesn't say Pastor Steve, so I don't know how long ago he wrote it. But, oh, interesting. Uh, but I feel like that summarizes everything we've been talking about today. That Yeah, and you know, when we talk about um, discipline and uh, words like that can can make people feel guilty or inadequate. And I think it's real important not to beat ourselves up. God is in us and we're doing our best. And if I don't have a regular morning routine, um, if I don't stay very mindful all the day, if I say these devout prayers and then turn right around and yell at my children, oh, well, you know. It's in the return, I think. Yeah. The return. And it's not necessarily maybe a softer word instead of discipline is practice. Yeah. Putting yeah. the sticky note. It's the intentionality behind it, putting the sticky notes, mm-hmm. asking myself, where are my feet? Um, it's in that return. And, and I'm human. I snap at my kids. We are, you know, most of us do. I think if you don't, then I'd like to meet you. <laughs> but we all, we all have those moments, but the grace is the invitation yeah. in that return that, you know, that you're suggesting here is that, you know, we forget and then we can come back to it. And even when I am at my worst, even when I am walking in the woods, fuming and and wasting my walk in the woods, even when I'm relating unjustly to other people, even then, I am a wholly beloved part of God's good creation, and um, and God is still holding me. That divine grace is still there, and um, and the the invitation to be at one with that grace is never a criticism it's never a put down it's always this open invitation like yeah there's even more life than that this is good come on and and that's there for other people as much as we want to um accuse and criticize and condemn them um that's all the invitation that's also the invitation for them god is in them and they might be doing extraordinarily harmful outrageous terrible unacceptable things and my response doesn't have to be one of violence i can still tap into that that grace that might lead me to stand up and protest and disrupt injustice but not with this desperate spirit that i'm you know things are bad and i gotta make it better but this gentle acceptance that god is at work and i want to be in harmony with that power i love it well, thank you. I think we should end. That's a great note to, to, uh, to close on. Um, I, uh, it was an absolute pleasure getting to, uh, to talk to you and yeah. the person behind the words. And um, so, so uh, I really appreciate, you know, you're taking the time to, to talk to me. And, um, Absolutely. It's fun to talk about this stuff. I'm Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at talkingjoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, 
joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.